any type of training that you do is going to be better than if you're not. But right. the, phys- the physiology is still basically the same. And that was a, a big thing for a long time. They said, well, body part splits don't work for you know, natural guys. Natural guys need to do full body or upper lower or that type of stuff. And that's not necessarily true. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Welcome to another episode of Wits and Weights. Today, we're getting into programming and coaching with my special guest, who's none other than Andy Baker. We'll get into programming principles for lifters of different ages and experience levels, whether your goal is to improve strength, performance, body composition, or even just have fun but effective workouts. Um, We'll also talk to Andy about Andy's career as a coach, his opinions on training principles and methods, and what he's been up to lately. So if you don't already know him, Andy Baker is a highly sought-after strength coach, personal trainer, competitive raw and drug-free powerlifter, and co-author of two best-selling books on strength training that are also personal favorites of mine, Practical Programming for Strength Training, affectionately called The Gray Book, that he wrote with Mark Ripito of Starting Strength, and The Barbell Prescription Strength Training for Life After 40 with Jonathan Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully, um, and Andy hosts the Baker Barbell Podcast. Andy's books and programming basically changed my life back in 2020 when I finally figured things out. I finally got my act together and got into barbell training and I did my first novice linear progression. And I've since run several of his programs. Uh, My favorite, I think, is the KSC method for power building, which I'm going to run again soon here. And I've been a group client of his online Baker Barbell Club since 2021. And he has almost two decades of dedicated experience as a strength coach and personal trainer. He's coached hundreds, if not thousands of clients by now, ranging from high-achieving adult fitness clients to elite athletes. And he's a former U.S. Marine, a certified starting strength coach, and of course, the owner of Kingwood Strength and Conditioning, a private barbell-based training facility in Texas. Andy, man, it's a privilege to welcome you to the show. That was quite an introduction. I appreciate it. That's probably the that's probably the best and smoothest one ever. That was great. Oh, I appreciate so. it, man. I, I'm going for that now with every guest I have, you know, because because you deserve it, man. So, um, well, thanks. I appreciate. it. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun, and you know, I always have like 20 questions ready, and I usually get to three, and then we go off on much more valuable tangents from that. So let's hope that happens today. Um, it's it's funny because my podcast is like that. Like I, I'll I'll script out like an outline for the episode, and it's like you know. And I don't know why I do this because I know it's not going to work. It'll be like 10 different topics I want to yep. cover. And like an hour goes by and I've done like one and a half. And I'm like, yep. oh, well, I guess we're going to have a part two on this. So, Which is awesome. Yeah. You know, that's that's what we yeah. want from this. Yeah. This is this is not a highly produced show. This is uh, real people here. Um, yeah. uh, all right. So, you know, you've probably told your story a million times on podcasts. So I want to kind of I want to narrow the focus for folks here. Um, you've trained since you were young. You went to Texas A&M, spent time in the Marines became a full-time personal trainer and strength coach. You, you know, your gym's in the, uh, the, the Houston area, right? Houston area. Yeah. And um, I guess what I'd like to ask you is between the experiences you had with CrossFit, with the online forums, with your gym, when did you realize that this style of training and programming with barbells was the way to go? Um, I mean, pretty early on. I mean, even in my early days before I, you know, back when I was a teenager and early 20s and stuff, when you're just, you know, 
you know, before I was coaching anybody or anything, you're just training yourself. I mean, there's always kind of a recognition of, of what works and what doesn't, um, you know, and so I always gravitated towards, um, you know, the basic barbell lifts and such, even when I was doing like more bodybuilding type stuff. And that just came from, you know, having a background in that, um, coming out of the sports world and that sort of thing, there was always a recognition that, you know, there was a lot of value to squats and bench presses and deadlifts and that sort of thing. Um, really regardless of what the goal was, that, that that was a great foundation. And so, you know, whatever style of training that I've, that I've done, um, which going from like, you know, and this is, you know, spans both me personally and with my clients going from like bodybuilding style training to even experimenting with like CrossFit style training to coaching power lifters, um, you know, to just general fitness, general population uh, types of people that the basic barbell lifts have always been at the core um, of everything that I've done. And then the, the, the changes are a lot of it is just on the periphery, you know, um, kind of on the margin specific to yeah. that person and what their goals are. So, you know, a lot of it is just, it, I always tell people like, once you've done squats, I mean, you, you kind of know, like if for a new person that's never, they've, they've read all this stuff and experimented with different things, but like, once they've done squats and seen the results from it, it's hard to like unconvince somebody that squats isn't say a superior leg exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you don't really have to convince people. They just, you just kind of know. And, and so, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the way I've always felt about it that, you know, you just, you can watch the changes happen with people. You get people's anecdotal feedback, you know, from your own personal experience. Um, you know, even if you're training purely for aesthetic goals, um, you know, most people still like to be strong even if that's, you know, they're not necessarily numbers right. chasing or whatever. So um, those have always kind of been, you know, at the core. Yeah. Yeah. I want to explore that a bit because um, probably a lot of people listening and myself included, it, it, it took me four decades before I could figure out what worked. And, and I wonder, you know, I, not that it came more naturally to, but I did CrossFit for eight years and I did a bunch of squats there, but they weren't super effective for me. And so the question is, you know, I, you said people naturally uh, find this out, but it almost seems like they have to come across the right approach and work in the right, for example, weight range with the right uh, programming and be consistent about it for a while to see those results to then feed that back into their mental loop of, oh, this works. Um, what do you I think, think about like, that? Yeah. Well, I think like with CrossFit, because I've, you know, I've, I've had a lot of experience working with CrossFitters and such, and I've, I've paid attention to it, you know, from the early days, um, you know, in the, in the good, the good CrossFit gyms, the good CrossFit coaches, um, had a recognition early on that like the squatting and the bench pressing and the overhead pressing and the deadlifts mm -hmm. and everything that was really probably, you know, 70, 80% of the results that people were seeing. The problem wasn't the lifts. It was the way they were programmed right. um, or not programmed. And the fact that in the early days of CrossFit, it was all so everything was so randomized mm -hmm. that, you know, you might squat, you know, on March 1st, and then not squat again until May right. or something. And it was just all, and it might be, it might be a five by five this time. And then the next time it was a one RM. And then the next time it was three sets of 10 or so. So it was just or 10 by 10, Andy. Oh, yeah. So, so it was just like, you know, it was, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the exercises um, that were the problem. It was the way they were programmed. And I think a lot of the good CrossFit gyms now, you look at them and they all kind of operate fairly similarly, which is that they have a structured, periodized, repeatable mm -hmm. strength program, yeah. you know, built into their wad structure. So, you know, Monday, we're going to squat every Monday, we're going to squat, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we're going to follow that up with some sort of wad. And then Tuesday, we're going to bench press. 
and we're going to program these lifts and we're going to do them re- repeatably and we're going to progress them on some sort of with some sort of framework that makes sense. And then, right. you know, Friday is we're going to deadlift every Friday. We're going to deadlift and then we're going to do a wad and and the wads complement what you're doing with the main barbell lift. And they they don't interfere with what's coming the next mm-hmm. day. And that's the difference between sure. like, I think, CrossFit now it versus CrossFit in the very early days was the idea that completely and totally random was better than programmed. And, you know, the reality is, is it's really not because right. if you're going to, if you've got squats on Tuesday and you do, you know, 400 meters of walking lunges on Monday, well, I mean, that's just retarded. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's, there's no reason to do that. Um, and so that, but that was kind of the really early days of CrossFit was this idea that, good exercise needed to be completely and totally random regardless of how little sense that it made, Um, you know, doing high volume kettlebell swings and then the next day doing heavy deadlifts, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it's not, and you know, the gyms that wanted to stay in business and not burn out and injure their clients kind of figure that out. Figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and what, so the principles of what you're talking about here for anybody listening who may have not been able to find something that works for them is the progressive overload, the the programming, the being consistent and and <clears throat> developing something over time. Um, and, and perhaps folks that go to the gym, the gen, gen pop that haven't found a gym like yours or haven't found barbell lifts or just it's random as well, just because they don't know what to do. So, um, so that's really important. All right. I, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about Rip a little bit and your relationship with him because that just probably comes up a lot. It's, I, you know, I listen to him all the time too and his podcast and just the guy's got a great personality. It's, it's just, just very unique. Um, I understand he was a mentor and friend of yours. You shared a similar vision, you know, this repeatable approach to lifting, whether it was based on anecdotes, like you said, working with tons of clients, based on the biomechanics and bar path and all that good stuff. And then you collaborated on the third edition of Practical Programming. Um, how did you become friends with him and how has that evolved to this day? Well, early on, um, the way I stumbled upon Rip is a way a lot of people did was, um, you know, he became kind of known, let's say nationally, uh, mm-hmm. or to the broader audience via CrossFit. Um, and this was in the early days of CrossFit when, and I, I don't pay attention to CrossFit now, so I don't know how they, how they do things, but in the early days, um, you know, they brought in all these subject matter experts to teach these, you know, kind of independent skills that were a part of the the broader CrossFit regime. And so they had a, uh, Mike Bergener was the Olympic weightlifting guy. They had like a jump rope guy. They had a kettlebell guy. You know, they had all mm-hmm. these guys that they, and, and Rip they brought in was the basic barbell guy. So they brought him in to teach squats, bench, overhead press and deadlifts. Um, and and um, I don't know how Glassman found out about him, that somehow Glassman knew about his book, uh, Starting Strength, that he had written, but it was not at the time starting strength was not real widely known like it is right. now, but, but CrossFit kind of introduced it to the world. So I became familiar with rip um, via CrossFit, but at that time CrossFit wasn't as big as it is now. And so, um, you know, at the time I was, um, I, I was in the transition of getting out of the Marine Corps. I still lived in California. Rip was from Texas. I was from Texas. I was moving back to Texas. Um, I had started to train, um, I had started to train clients while I lived in California and I, I had planned on, you know, uh, starting a coaching practice um, when I got back to Texas. And I was using um, a lot of this stuff from starting strength with the clients that I was coaching. And when I eventually opened my gym in uh, late 2007, early 2008, um, I was taking a lot. Of, I was using starting strength linear progression 
you know, and, and a lot, some of the other uh, programs, the early programs for practical program, the intermediate stuff, I was using a lot of that in a commercial setting with real people, which, you know, really that's, that's kind of the only place that it counts as a coach. You're like, mm-hmm. you have to be able to apply this stuff in the real world or other, otherwise it's just theory and looks good on paper. Sure. If it doesn't actually work with real people, then as a coach, it's, it's, it's not really a viable methodology. And at the time, um, Rip was a moderator on this obscure strength. This was before social media. Um, might've had MySpace or something, but, um, at, at the time, <laughs> yeah, but like Facebook and Instagram and none of that stuff was what it is today. It wasn't even around really, I don't guess. Um, but anyways, um, Rip, uh, Rip was a moderator on this kind of obscure strength training forum called strength mill dot. I think it was strength mill.net and there like nobody went there. And so, but I, I somehow found it and I was communicating with Rip, um, on that forum. And, um, he eventually bought strengthmill.com or strengthmill.net, whatever it was. And it became starting strength.com the, the forum, but yeah. yeah, the forums. And so I, I was communicating with him way back then about what I was doing at my gym in Kingwood. Okay. And, you know, at the time, you know, there, I'm sure there were other coaches that were doing it too. I was just the only one that was doing it and communicating back and forth with him hmm. relatively frequently about what worked, what didn't work, um, you know, what I was struggling with. And, and it's like one of those things where if you do it, if he's doing it with a few hundred people up in Wichita Falls, and then I start doing it with a few dozen, a few hundred people down in, 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 in Houston, you know, if you do something with 10 people, you learn something. If you do something with a hundred people, you learn more. If you do something with a thousand people, you learn a lot more. So it was just one of those things where the more people that are doing it, the more you learn about it. And so we were communicating a lot of this stuff backward, uh, back and forth, um, especially on like the intermediate type of programming and all that, which hadn't been really all that fleshed out that well in the earlier editions of uh, practical programming. Mm-hmm. And so then fast forward a few years later, and he find, he wanted to do a rewrite of practical programming basically because we had learned a lot, actually putting a lot of this stuff into practice. And he's like, hey, you've you've been doing this stuff as much as I have been or, you know, Rip also just isn't that interested in programming. Yeah. <laughs> um, he'll, he'll tell you that. And he's like, so he's like, I want you to come on board with me and let's, we'll do this together. So I was, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I brushed off my, uh, my issue of practical programming, which I did read, uh, just so you know, because <laughs> there's a running joke that, you know, have you actually read it? Um, and yeah, he, he, his acknowledgement to you was about, you're like a numbers guy and you know, you're the programming guru. So are, are all the programming examples in there, everything from the Texas method and the splits and everything is it's all that your section of the book? Um, I mean, not the Olympic lifting stuff. Cause I, I mean, I oh, told sure. him, I said, that's like, that's not my, um, I think he did a lot with, uh, Jim Mosier did a lot of the mm. Olympic weightlifting stuff. Plus rips own rip is a lot more experienced with Olympic weightlifting than I am. It's just not my, um, I mean, I can teach people how to power clean and power snatch, but you know, full, full Olympic weightlifting programming is not something that I do, but the rest of it. Um, yeah, it was pretty much me obviously with a lot of rips influence, um, in there, but he, he pretty much let me take the reins on that. Um, and go, and then he would, you know, there was stuff on there that I would propose and he didn't want to have in there. So we took it out and, you know, um, that sort of thing. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's mine. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you put a few example programs into a book, um, but you can't put everything in there. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of there, you know, um, and there's, I mean, there's stuff that we've learned 
since then that, you know, we would probably go back and add, but it's like at a certain point, you can only do so many rewrites, you know, of a book. And we've gone back and kind of looked over it, you know, over the past couple of years. And, you know, I think most of it's still, you know, there's nothing in there. I'd say, Oh no, I don't agree with that anymore. Totally got to take that out. I mean, there's stuff in there. I could, we could have clarified more, or, you know, expanded like, on more, who shouldn't or, run the Texas method. Cause yeah, everyone I mean, wants to run it, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a never yeah. ending there. I mean, that's going to go on forever. Yeah. If we did a fourth edition, there would be if, a few years from that, there would be things that we'd want to go in there and clean up and clarify. But, you know, after a certain point, you just have to put stuff out there and realize it's never really going to be perfect, but yeah. it's, it's still pretty good. Um, you know, I think, and so I still stand by the work and I think it's a good starting point for most people, um, you know, for at least to understand the basic concepts around programming. The pro the problem is, and this is why we kind of joke about people don't read it is they, they do tend to look at, um, they do tend to just kind of skip over all the text and go right to the, the, right to the programs, which, which are all just examples. Um, you know, and it's it's hard because none of those are written for any specific person. Mm-hmm. They're all just kind of generic, but people follow them like a cookbook and they don't necessarily give themselves the latitude to adjust and tweak based on the principles that are outlined in there. And if you don't understand the broader principles, then you don't know how to necessarily make those adjustments. And so, and granted, it is hard. I mean, for the average person to self-program, it, it can be difficult. Um, it, it is, yeah. Yeah. No, it is. But you know, you're what I was going to say is if you were to have an addendum to that book today, I would tell anybody just go to your, go to the, you know, Baker bar, what's your, uh, andybaker.com, go to your training page. And those are effectively a bunch of programs that you've worked out over the years and, and have selected the best of, and you know, you charge for them, but they're, they're super reasonable. And, uh, you take those and then ask you a question on how to tweak it or read practical programming. You kind of get a good sense for uh, how to work work through it. And you've helped me with this over the past couple of years where, oh, now I've got a shoulder issue. Uh, now I'm in a cut. Now, you know, I've got this thing going on in my life. Now I need to go from four to five days. And those are the kinds of things where the principles matter. And once you've kind of gone through that process a few times, I think you can get pretty good at it. But, you know, so it's not for everybody. Like programming is is a skill for sure. And I think you've got that. Yeah. I mean, even like if you look at stuff like heavy, light, medium training, I mean, it's that's just a very general, generic way to kind of organize the stress of a given week. But within that framework, I mean, there's we gave a few examples in the book, but there's an infinite amount of examples you could give when you start rearranging exercises, sets, reps, volumes and intensities. I mean, there's an almost endless amount of permutations you could do that would more or less be heavy, light, medium stuff. And then there's like a lot of programs I do that are you know, kind of heavy, light, medium, but not exactly. And Mm -hmm. so that's like, that's where I'm, I tend to be less um, rigid than I think a lot of my readers and clients are. They read it and they're very rigid in how they apply it. And I think a lot of them are very surprised that I'm not as rigid. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm more, um, you know, I always tell people like I'm, I approach programming much more as an art than an engine, like Mm. from an an engineering standpoint. I think a lot of guys, especially that are drawn to starting strength because it's so formulaic kind of have that engineering brain and they, they, they really like the structure like, but overly so almost. Um, And so I think a lot of people are surprised to figure out how kind of loose I am with some of that stuff. Cause I've had people say, well, you know, you said we were going to do a heavy light medium program, but this isn't. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's heavy light medium ish. It yeah. kind of is. It's just, it, but it just works. I mean, so 
it's like whether it fits very, you know, a hundred percent neatly into this package doesn't really matter that much. It's true. Yeah. No, when people, people ask you a question on the forum and they're like, can I do this or this or this or this or this? And you're like, sure. Like, yeah, yeah. those will all work, you know, for what you're trying to accomplish. Um, yeah, they, they have a great yeah. thing at the, at the starting strength seminar. And I think, I hope I'm quoting this right, but Nick Delgadillo is kind of the programming guy now um, with um, starting strength. And he he does a great job. I mean, I tell people, I mean, you, I, I trust Nick, you know, as much as anybody, maybe even more so than me with a lot of the basic barbell stuff. He's really good at it. Um, and, you know, he has a good, a, a good thing in there in the programming section is like, before you ask a question, ask yourself one, does it matter? And, and two, and I think two is something like, you know, would the best option be to just try it and see? Sure. And that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what people are like, exactly what you just said. They're, they're like, well, can I do this or should I do this? And it's like, try it and see, man. Like yeah. both could potentially be right. Like, I can't tell you is four sets of five or four sets of four going to be better for this movement. Like that's how, true. how could I, how could I know with that degree of precision, especially from somebody that I don't even coach, you know, closely, and, and even as somebody that I do coach that closely, and I've made this point before, like most of the stuff that we do from a programming standpoint is more or less guesswork. Um, you know, there's 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 no way to know on any given day where something where you can say, well, on, when I squat today, should I be doing four sets of five or should yeah. I do four sets of four or five sets of four? Like you can't really know that you're kind of just saying, well, based on where we're at and, and who I'm working with and the loads that we're with and. I'm going to say it's true and your recovery of, and, yeah. and how you feel at day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're, yeah, you're, you, you can't really pinpoint the exact level of stress that would be optimal. I mean, one of them is more right than the other four sets of four, right. or four sets of five, right? Like one of them's more right than the other, but we're kind of just guessing there. And, and over time, you know, I think it probably evens out to where it doesn't really matter that much as long as you're kind of in the ballpark and you're really consistent with it. Right. Yeah, are you ninety five percent versus ninety percent may not be be a big difference as long as you're getting to that ninety percent. What you know, the other thing I, I've seen a lot is that new lifters they they want to copy a an advance or you know an advanced lifters programming or they see what they're doing on social media right and they just want to look or perform like that person so they're going to try to do that and that's just one example. I mean, what are the differences between beginners? Uh, who who just don't know what they're getting into quite yet and don't understand their body or, or what their maxes are or anything else, and, or even intermediate, which I feel like a late novice, early intermediate, still pretty much a babe in the woods. I know I was. Between mm-hmm. that and advanced lifters and then the mistakes people make in that regard with regards to writing their own programming. Well, one is the terminology. Um, and we, okay. me, and Rip, me and Rip have both said this, that I think if we had it to do over again, we, we would probably change the terminology away from like novice, intermediate, advanced. I mean, I think novice is correct, but the reality is like this, let's say the starting strength progression, depending on who that, who the athlete is and who we're working with, you're, you're looking at anywhere from potentially as short as six weeks to as long as six months with six months mm-hmm. being really long. Like that's, that's someone that starts out really s- small on most, in most instances and, and gains a lot of weight through the program. Um, and does everything right. Mm. But most of the time it's between probably eight, eight weeks to, t- to 16 weeks, somewhere in there is probably more about right in terms of, so, so somebody does a, a linear progression like that and goes, let's say three or four months, and then they kind of, you know, phase out of that and they're ready for something more complex or just, you know, structured differently. You know, they're still a beginner, you know, mm. they're, yes, they're on, technically they're on to intermediate training, but, you know, the way that we defined it in there was that, you know, 
someone that's an intermediate at this point could only progress on a weekly basis. There was no day-to-day progression left. They couldn't, they couldn't progress between Monday and Wednesday and and Wednesday to Friday that they were on more of a kind of a weekly type schedule. But, you know, if you've only been training six months, you're still a beginner. You know, if you've been training a year, you're probably still really a beginner, even though technically you may be into kind of late stage intermediate training the way that we defined it. And kind of the same thing with advanced is that, People look at advanced programming and they think, well, you know, I'll never be advanced. Like that's for like an elite competitor or whatever. But really advanced training, the way we define it is just it's any type of progression that is that is longer than week to week. Mm -hmm. In other words, you you can't progress between this Monday and next Monday. Your progress is going to be slower than that. And really anybody that's been training for six to eight months or a year for sure is, is really going to be kind of in that advanced territory. Right. Um, and the, the differences between intermediate and advanced training are often so hazy that it, it, it there, there's a case to be made that there's not even really a point in making a distinction because mm. the, the line between the two are so blurry that you could really make the case that we just have kind of novice training and then post novice training. Right. You and know, it could vary by lift even. Yeah, it, it, and, it, yeah. and it probably will, you know, yeah. vary by lift. Um, you know, a lot of people will make more, um, you know, longer linear progression on maybe a deadlift than they will an overhead press or something like that. That's going to require different type of programming. So, right. um, you know, so that's, you know, that's, that's one way to, it's just understanding that the rate of progression is going to slow a little bit sooner than you think that it is. Sure. So, and then speaking of a beginner, then where, what scenario, is there any scenario where you would not recommend someone follow the starting straight novice linear progression or something close to it? Is there, is there any scenario you can think of? Um, so, yeah. I mean, a lot of times I do, even with novices, I put them on, it still basically looks, this. it looks very similar. Like if you laid the, the programs out on paper next to each other, but I'll use, a lot of times I'll use a four day split with somebody even right from the beginning, as opposed to the full body structure. And that a lot of times that just, ha- that may have to do with somebody's schedule. Um, you know, at the beginning, I think the first few weeks for sure, like full body programming is the easiest, simplest way to sure. do it. Um, the, the problem with it is that as somebody gets stronger um, is that the, uh, the workouts take a long time. Right. And, and so certainly if you have somebody that is, has um, kind of competing um, you know, is competing for resources with the lifting, let's say they play sports or they do any type of really other outside activity. We don't generally recommend people engage in a lot of, you know, a lot of aerobic activity while they're doing, right. you know, it's, it's better to take that time and just get stronger, but you know, sometimes people don't have the option if they're playing a sport or whatever, they they have to do, you know, they, ha- they have to practice mm-hmm. and play the sport. And a really long, drawn out full body workout is either too time consuming or just too draining on the recovery. So, so doing something like a four day split Monday and Thursday is bench and overhead press and chin ups or something. And right. then, you know, Tuesday and Friday is just squat and deadlift and you're out the door, you know something very simple like that. It will, it's still basically all the same lifts. It's still, it's still progressed within the week. You know, nothing really changes other than you're going from, you're doing an upper lower split versus a full body split. And it just, it makes the workouts a lot shorter and easier to recover from. So, uh, you know, but in terms of the lifts, I mean, when I work with older people, for sure, I mean, you're going to have certain people that people that can't always do 
all the lifts. I mean, for sure, you're going to the, the lift that most people can do actually is the deadlift. So yeah. I'm if I'm thinking in, in my gym where I get a lot of, um, you know, in my in my coaching practice here locally in my gym, you know, I get a lot of clients that are, you know, 60s and 70s and even up into their 80s. Um, and so, I mean, very I'd say it's more rare that the, or it's, it's more common that people come in and can't do at least one or two of the lifts the way that we prescribe them. I mean, it's pretty rare you're going to get a guy that's in his 70s that hasn't worked out in forever that can low bar squat, overhead press, and bench press without any remediation. Mm-hmm. I mean, because things like arthritic shoulders and all that is kind of the norm almost with that population, with an unathletic older population. And so, you know, or, you know, they're not going to have the strength to do to squat a 45 pound bar or overhead press <clears throat> a 45 pound bar. So, you know, but that, that some of that stuff's easily solved with just lighter equipment, you know, having the the equipment there where they sure. can do a 20 pound overhead press. Um, you know, a lot of my older clients, I may have them start deadlifting with light kettlebells first okay. before I progress into a bar, you know, and I'll have them, we'll get up to where they can do a 50 pound kettlebell and then move them to a 65 pound barbell, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, for, for a lot of people that are maybe listening to this that are uh, your your clients are probably a lot of like mine, a lot of guys mm-hmm. in their 30, 30s and 40s. That's not usually an issue with that demographic. I mean, most of them can squat a 45 pound bar on day one, but a lot of my, you know, for if you're a coach listening to this, I mean, or you're thinking about getting into coaching, if you're going to coach people in person, you're going to have a lot of older clients that have a lot of issues and you're going to be surprised how few of them can, you know, squat a 45 pound right. bar on day one or deadlift 65 pounds, which would be, you know, 45 pound bar with 10 pound bumpers on it that's going to be way too much for a lot of people. Um, and so, or they may, you know, even if they have the strength, they may not have the range of motion or, you know, things that people don't think about, you know, being able to lay down flat on a bench, a lot mm-hmm. of older people, they can't do that. You know, they can't lay flat on a, on a hard bench like that and get on and off. So you got to be creative in your approach. You still follow the same principles, yep. but you're, you're right. yeah. And I'm, and I'm pretty flexible in that. I, I really look for, okay instead of trying to force people into a certain movement, I look at, okay, what can we do well? And let's focus on those, you know, let's, let's not try to force you into this, into this movement. You know, I'm not going to jam the bar down on your shoulders, trying to force you to do a low bar squat when I could just have you do a safety bar squat or start you with a goblet squat or a body weight, body weight squat, you know, whatever it is, I'm just going to get you squatting and then we'll kind of flesh out some of this other stuff down the road. Yeah. And I think that goes back to talking about this more as an art in that you have to accommodate what people are coming from. And I know a lot of you guys in the club, you know, we're, we're in our forties and again, dealing with all sorts of little things and you got to get creative. For me, it was recently a multi-grip bar instead of a straight bar for, for, you know, press because of the shoulder issues. I have female clients that are maybe in their forties or fifties who never lifted and, you know, can they have access to a, a women's barbell or 15 pound barbell? And that often uh, at least lets them get started and progress up. You mentioned something about recovery and you were talking about people who are maybe athletes who have other forms of cardio that they're doing in between. And you said maybe they need, you know, four, four days versus three days. Just this week, I had a client uh, make an assumption and I was thinking of you actually, he said, well, I'm currently in a fat loss phase. So of course I can't do a fifth or sixth day. And I thought, you know, Andy had me running the bodybuilding track when I was on a cut and that was six days a week. And it was fantastic because each day was just like bite-sized and I only had stressful movements maybe two days a week. And that allowed me to, you know, spread out the fatigue and recovery. So let's just explore that for a second. So people understand that like the number of days per week doesn't always correlate to 
to the stress or, or vice versa. Right. Yeah. Because like the, the bodybuilding track that I do for a lot of the guys that are, you know, strictly hypertrophy, um, oriented physique oriented, um, you know, that's not something I would necessarily start a novice out with, but once you've got a, you know, you've got a decent base of strength established and you're kind of looking to, you know, go outside that a little bit, um, then, you know, people, people will without seeing the program, they'll go, Oh my God, it's six days a week. I can never recover from that. But the, the workouts, the way, the way that I like to train that style is with short, very intense, very focused workouts. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're looking at a day where it's just, it's shoulders, you know? And so that's not, that's not near, that's not as stressful as doing squats, bench presses and deadlifts, Mm -hmm. you know, on a day that's, you might do a, um, you know, a standing overhead press, that would be your, you know, your initial lift on that day. And then you've got a series of, you know, isolation type movements that are, you know, stressful on the shoulders, but low systemic stress. You know, you're talking about things like side delt raises, rear delt raises, right. maybe some shrugs and you're out the door. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I like for hypertrophy, I'm not a big volume guy. I like enough volume, but I'm much more in favor of, you know, high effort, a, a handful of very high effort sets for that type of training. And so the workouts are, are shorter and they're intense. Um, but there's, it, it is to me, it's easier to recover from something like that. Even though you're training more frequently, you're not training your whole body or even half your body six days a week. You're just doing a, just basically doing a body part. Um, and you're using a lot of exercises that are not that systemically stressful. And so you can recover, recover from it. And a lot of those workouts, um, you know, if you're really focused and you're not scrolling around in your cell phone and you're you're watching your rest time and that sort of thing, I mean, you might knock them out in 30, 45 minutes and you're out the door. And that's that's kind of how I like to train. And if you're going to combine that, say, with cardio, aerobic activity, um, it's a lot easier to do that than if you're trying to knock out a full body workout or even half a body, you know, yeah, full, yeah. full a full upper day or a full lower day even is much more is much harder than that than um um, you know, just doing a, like a body part type split. For sure. Yeah. No, and I've learned a ton from, from your approach here when it comes to, um, stress, fatigue, recovery, and how we balance all of those. And then the, the, I guess the other aspect for older lifters would be the, the kind of the types of things that they should and shouldn't do during the week, potentially to manage that recovery. Um, actually my friend, Tony Perry, you know, you probably know him right in the barbell club. Um, a lot stronger guy than me. He's always getting on me for that. So I hear you, man. But uh, he wanted me to ask you a question about tendon and ligament health in, in this context, um, whether there's anything older, older lifters maybe shouldn't do, whether it's sprinting or Olympic lifts or anything like that, uh, maybe explore that a bit in terms of you know, tendons and ligaments. Well, yeah, and it's, it's like high speed activities for sure, especially when you're not accustomed to them. That's the thing. It's, it's one thing like there's a difference between you know, doing sprints when you're 40, when you started doing them in college and you've maintained a sprinting regimen for into your twenties and thirties. And yeah, maybe you've moderated it down. You don't do as many or as frequent or as fast, but you've never, you've never stopped those activities. You know, you've always played, you know, you've always played recreational basketball or whatever it is that you do. Um, you've maintained those just like with anything else, your body is adapted and conditioned to those stresses. There's a big difference between that and a guy that's 45, 50 years old that says, okay, I'm going to start doing sprints now after never have, after not having done that for 25 years or 30 years, um, your, 
you know, that connective tissue is not adapted to that. It's not that you can't do them, but you just got to be really careful about introducing that kind of stuff. And you have to really weigh the risk reward of that sort of thing. You know, jump training is typically not something that I would necessarily do. I think sprinting is okay, but I always tell my, my older guys, and really this is really anybody over like 30. Mm -hmm. So not just, I mean, there's really no reason why somebody our age should be running a hundred percent max effort sprints. I mean, you get, you get whatever benefit you're going to get out of them by running at 80, 90%. Um, and you're, you're without putting yourself at the risk of, and even if it's not a torn Achilles tendon or something like that, just a strained hamstring, those types mm. of things that, that then, you know, they're not catastrophic, but they're, they're an annoyance and they slow down your progress yeah. by a lot. You, you know, if you're having, yep. yeah, if you're having to nurse that thing for, you know, three or four months, um, yeah, you can still train, but you're not training hard. You're having to always nurse it. It's always in the back of your mind, whether it's going to give or not. And so, you know, there's certain things, high speed movements for sure, um, are something that I would be, I would be careful with, you know, um, but I would say in terms of, you know, protecting yourself from that, um, don't do things that you're not conditioned to do. Um, if you're not used to training heavy, you know, you need to kind of acclimate to that full. I think full range of motion is very important. I think full range of motion and using the, the lifts as the, using the, one of the benefits of a lot of these lifts that we do is that kind of weighted loaded stretch. Mm. Um, you know, I think is actually very there. I think it helps prevent injury. Um, and I think it's, I think it's good for the joints to be taken through their full, not excessively, um, long, but you know, um, not doing a lot of heavy partial movements. You got to be careful sure. with like dead stop movements from the pins. Those are movements that sometimes I'm careful with, hmm. um, you know, pin squats, dead stop rack bench presses, um, those types of things where well, I like those movements, but as you get older, you start to, those types of movements can be hard on the connective tissue. Um, and then just paying attention to your own, your own body and your own, your own body's feedback to you about the things that might cause pain or your own injury history. You know, I've got a, I've got an in, uh, a history of of minor pec tears and one one or two pretty not major but less than minor you yeah. know pec tears and so I've got some soft tissue issues you know in my in my pecs that maybe you don't have or another guy doesn't have so I'm more careful with certain movements just based on my own injury history than another guy has if you know if you've got a history of knee problems or shoulder problems or whatever just paying attention to your own body um you know, and kind of writing your own rule book for what you can or can't do. Um, Cause some like yeah. there's certain, there's certain movements that get demonized a lot, like dips or behind the neck presses or upright rows. And yeah, those are problematic for a lot of people, but I can do all those movements and I've never right. had, I, I behind the neck press all the time. I've never had an issue with that, but I don't, but that me, me being able to do it doesn't mean that everybody over 40 can behind the neck press. I just have, I've always had very free and open shoulder range of motion. And so that movement doesn't hurt at all. And, but, yeah. but I don't, but I know a lot of people do, so I don't prescribe it universally, you know? Yeah, no, no, exactly. Right. Not, not one thing works for everyone. And also um, what you just said there is, is don't, you know, some of us out of ego, I think, uh, especially us guys will push ourselves, especially if we've gotten really, uh, really, really strong or made a lot of progress in one area maybe it's our big lifts. And then we go out like I did a few years ago and said, sure, I can trail run at a hundred percent. And you realize kind of, maybe you should have eased into it and worked up to it and trained for it. Yeah. Uh, so, and the older you get, the, the harder it is to bounce back from those things. Hey, this is Philip, And I hope you're enjoying this episode of Wits and Weights. 
If you're looking to connect with like-minded listeners on their health and fitness journeys, come join our free Facebook community. It's a supportive space where you can share your experiences, ask questions, and access free guides and weekly trainings. Just search for Wits and Weights on Facebook or find the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I've look, I've been dealing with some plantar fasciitis in my foot for since July of last year. And it it came out of me not following my own advice. My son is my son's a teenager. He's playing football now. Um, so I was training him last summer for his upcoming um, you know, fall football season. And I had him out on the track running sprints. And I thought, you know, like a like a good dad, like a good coach. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, it's like a hundred degrees, you know, it's, it's harder to go. It's harder to do that stuff, um, you know, on your own. So I thought, you know, like a good, a good dad, a good coach, good training partner, I'm going to run these sprints with him. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to suffer together type of thing. And so I was, you know, during the workout, I was feeling pretty good. And I ran, I don't don't know what it was, 10, 10, 40 or 50 yard sprints, but it had been a long time, you know, since I had done that type of stuff. And then of course I got competitive with him. And we go. started, we started instead of just <laughs> running the breaking point. <laughs> yeah. I, we started rate actually racing. So I was, I did a handful of, you know, max effort sprints with him felt great. I woke up the next day and man, my, my foot, like I couldn't put my foot down on oh. the ground. And I, at first I was like, man, I thought I had a stress fracture in my foot. And then, um, you know, come to find out, it's just, I gave myself a pretty acute bout of plantar fasciitis. And then if you've ever had that, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the ass to get rid of. You, you think it's gone and then it comes back and then yeah. you think it's gone and then it comes back. And so I've been dealing with that off and on since July of last year. So, um, you know, it's not, de- it's not debilitating, but it, it's definitely annoying. And that just came strictly from not following my own advice, which was one, don't, don't run sprints at max effort and don't, don't do a high volume of things that you're not accustomed to doing. Sure. I violated, I violated both those rules and, you know, I've kind of been paying for it a little bit. Luckily it's a minor thing. It's not, um, you know, I didn't blow out a hamstring or, you know, quad tendon or something like that, but you know, that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. That reminds me of the suicide sprints I did in the beach a few years back. Same thing, you know, you and me, buddy, let's go after it and see what we can do. And you're like, I'm you know, not 25 and, anymore. Yeah. And I think to a degree, you know, as, as guys, and if, if you're, you know, former athletes or whatever you, I mean, you're, you're competitive and it's, it's easy to let the moment, right you know, kind of take over and you do things that you don't, you, you wouldn't, you, you know, you wouldn't prescribe to a client, but you wind up doing yourself or, you know, in the gym, it might be, you know, working up too heavy, you know, you haven't mm-hmm. been training for a while or whatever, and you decide to work up a little heavier than you should trying to hit old numbers or pursuing too much volume or, or whatever it is, you're just, you're applying more stress than your body is um, able to recover from. And I think, especially when you're older, and you're, you, you have, you, you're still pretty strong and you have been strong. I think you, you kind of hit this nexus where you're still able to apply a lot of stress to your own body. Like I'm still pretty strong. Like I can apply a lot of stress to myself, but I have to be careful with that because my recovery is not as good as it used to be. So okay. I can, I can still put up some decent numbers on some of my lifts. I just have to be careful to, about my volume and my frequency and that sort of thing, because I'm capable of generating a, a pretty big training stress, but my ability to recover from that same stress is not as good as it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So you just kind of have to learn. I think as you get older and we, we, we focused on this a lot in the barbell prescription, which was, you know, everything's going to happen on your own individual timeline. And, you know, that becomes even more true the older that you get is that you really can't adhere to things that are too regimented and too 
cookie cutter. You know, you really have to pay attention to how is this program that I'm trying to follow, how is that affecting me? Um, you know, and that's one thing I always tell these guys that that are like in my club that are following, you know, a lot of the stock programming is that's a good starting point. Like, but give yourself permission to adapt and improvise and modify and adjust. You don't ne- you don't necessarily have to ask for permission to do that. If you're following a workout plan and you feel like, God, this is just killing me. Like if your intuition is telling you that it's way too much, then it, it's probably too much, you know, and you don't necessarily have to ask, to, you know, to, to, to shave off a set or two or to back the sure. weight down a little bit. Like you have to kind of pay attention to your own body. And I think that's one of the b- big mistakes that people make um, is they, they just, they don't really, they don't give themselves permission to be you know, like at the end of the day, your, your, your coach is an advisor or, sure. you know, that program that you're following is, is an advisor. I, I liken it to like a, like a roadmap or a trail mm-hmm. map. Like, mm-hmm. like if I give you a, a map, you know, a, a rudimentary map to follow that says, here's how you get from, you know, we're out in the woods somewhere. And it's like, here's how you get from point A to point B and you're going down that trail, you know, and you come to a two foot deep puddle of water it's like, well, go around it. Right. Like it, it exactly. wasn't, it, it wasn't on the map, but don't just wade through it. Like go around it. Like, you know, and I tell, I kind of like to try to tell my guys to follow these things. Like if you're doing this program and it says five by five squats, but every time you do five by five squats, you can't walk for a week, you know, or your low back hurts, like do, okay. Then this don't do five sets of five, do three People sets of five. This. People need to hear this. Yeah. Oh, they do. They do. And like, I'm going to be the first guy and that's going to tell you to do that because when I put out a program for people to follow, I'm, I'm that program cannot possibly be optimal for every single person that's going to follow it. It's going to get you, it's, it's going to get you in the ballpark. It's going to get you pretty close. And I think that's good. And so a lot of people are against, you know, stock programs or stock Mm -hmm. templates for, for that reason. Um, but I think it's just like that little, that a handwritten, you know, little map is still going to be better than just walking through the woods blind. Um, but it doesn't necessarily include every obstacle that you're, that you might encounter, yeah. um, but it's, it's going to get you yeah. closer than maybe if you're on your own, but it's not precise and it's not exact. Right. It gets, gets about 80% of the way there. And then the rest of it is, you know, taking this advice that you're sharing here, talking to a coach, having a trainer, whatever it takes to to make those adjustments as you learn. You know, it's funny you mentioned the GPS. Did you ever watch The Office, the US version of The Office? Oh, oh yeah. Do, do you remember the episode where they follow the GPS like almost right yeah, into the lake? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dwight Dwight drives the car right into the lake right. or, or or Steve Carell does whichever yeah. one. But yeah, they're they're driving it and it's like, well there's a lake here and it's like, well the the, the roadmap said to go into it and it's like exactly. so they just drive into the lake and a lot of people do that with their own training and it's like you know, you have to just, I think that's a, a big problem with, I don't know, there's something about the online world that's created that, um, you know, and I think some coaches would take it as an affront to their own programming skills if their clients want to mm. modify what they gave them. But you just have to recognize that, you know, unless you're working with somebody like like me working with Shelly, who's in a very high level, you know, competitive athlete, mm-hmm. you know, at the world level, but, you know, God, I've been working with her very, very intimately for like six years. So like with her, I, yeah, I can pretty much, I think, you know, pretty much down to the, to the set or pretty, you know, pretty damn close, you know, get really close to what's optimal. But that has, that has come from a long relationship of of programming um, for her. And, uh, and now, you know, she's been doing it long enough where, you know, her feedback now to me, 
I listen to it a lot more than I would have like in year one, mm-hmm. you know? So when she's saying this is too much or this is not enough, you know, at the beginning as a coach, when you're working with people, you know, for a guy that's only been training a few months, you're like, okay, I'll kind of make a note of that. But sure. honestly, but, you don't blow, but I'm your you coach and I know better. So listen, right, here, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah you, you don't, you don't blow it off, but a lot of yeah. this stuff you've, you, yeah. they just, they don't know enough to, right. to make a lot of these mod- but the, the longer somebody has trained, the, the coach becomes much more of an advisor right. than, you know, and I kind of give them stuff, but I give them much more agency to make their own, you know, it's kind of like a football coach does with a really experienced quarterback with Tom Brady, you know, the coach is is not going to script out every play for him. Yep. He's going to give him a lot of agency to go out there and call audibles, you know, or call his own play, call, you know, mm-hmm. call a pat call a pass when when a run was called because that's what the defense showed, you know, that type of thing where you may not do that with a rookie quarterback because oh, yeah. they're going to make a lot of mistakes. So there's a lot of analogies in this from sports that apply. Yeah. Oh, uh, Phil Jackson you know, and, and, and the uh, right. his team, same thing. Hey, speaking of your program, so you talked this whole idea of templates versus customizing. You know, I guess one of the things I like about your KSC uh, power building program is it's not really a template. It is very flexible. It, it's like, here's a bunch of things you could do on Monday. Here are a bunch of things you could do Tuesday, follow this framework, but then you get to choose, which some people may find frustrating because like, oh, this guy's telling me that I have to now figure it out. But I like that. Well, I mean, what is your favorite program of all the ones you've ever written? I actually like that one a lot. Um, okay. I, that probably is my favorite. Um, cool. Just just because I've, I've used it a lot personally. Um, mm-hmm. Probably my strongest that I've ever been was probably when I was you know, consistently following that eight, five, two programming for the main lifts. And I, and and for the reasons that you just kind of laid out, I like that program because it provides there, there is a pretty good amount of structure on how to do the main lifts. Um, So it it keeps you from, I don't like a program where you just walk into the gym and you're just guessing, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to leave it to the, to the client to just, to just guess you know, whatever feels good today. So it provides some structure, but it also gives you a framework to do if, you know, the, your ability is just not on point that day, you know? Um, it, and so a good program provides that of kind of what do you, what do you do if you get out there and, um, you know, you're supposed to do X, but you, you can't that day. Like, you know, it, it kind of gives you, it kind of gives you some direction on where to go and how to, how to, uh, how to handle that um, when progress starts to slow down. Yeah. Um, so it gives you some, it gives you a little bit of uh, rigidity and some structure on the main lifts. Um, but then on the margins, it gives a lot of flexibility to one, choose exercises that, that you prefer or that fit your equipment situation. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest things like doing like hypertrophy based programming is what equipment do people oh, have? Right. Cause I there's mean, so many machines. Yeah. yeah. That, or, or, or they're in a garage gym yeah. and they have a barbell and some dumbbells yeah. and maybe some janky cable station or something versus if they're in a really good commercial facility where they have everything, um, this kind of gives them a framework of how to, um, you know, how to, how to implement some variety, but also not to get carried away with variety. You know, here's, here's a couple of accessory movements for your chest. You know, you need, maybe need one or two, but you don't need 10, you know, type of thing. And so that's, cause that's, a, that's an area where people with too much variety will get carried away yeah, and they, right. they'll lose, they'll lose focus on the big picture stuff um, and focus too much on the, the smaller um, type of things. But uh, so I, I like programs like that, that are, that have some rigidity, but also have some flexibility and some, yeah, exactly. um, you know, on the, on the margins. It, it kind of reminds me of flexible dieting on the nutrition side where, you know, you got your calories and macros, but you go ahead and pick the food. You know, it's similar thing yeah. here. You've got your eight, five, two structure and you've got your days, but pick the, uh, pick the movements. Yeah. Um, so, uh, after, um, 
working in in this field for I guess at least two decades now, I had a couple of questions I wanted to pick your mind about. One is: Is there anything that you've completely changed your mind on um, that you used to feel strongly about? And then the other is: Is there anything new that you're experimenting with that maybe we haven't heard much about from you? Um, I, you know, I don't. It's hard to say if there's anything that I wholesale used to believe that I just don't believe anymore. I mean, definitely maybe the way that I do some stuff is Mm -hmm. well, for sure. The way that I do some things is different. I think fundamentally, fundamentally, I more or less believe. And I think, you know, that's the thing when you work with real people in the gym, I think you, you kind of see what works. And if it, if it worked 10 years ago, it's still going to work now. It's not like, well, this is old. So it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. No, if it worked, I mean, humans haven't evolved that much in 10 or 20 years. So, I mean, I think you get better at, just maybe being more efficient, um, you, you know, with what you're trying to do, but more or less the stuff that worked, you know, the stuff that worked 10 or 20 years ago works now. You know, I think a lot of people too, they look at what you're, they look, you know, as a coach, you, you have to kind of come up with your own system that you, that you follow and you have to get really good at, at working within a, a system or a couple of systems and you can't try everything or do everything. So it's like, if, if somebody will be like, well, Baker does this. So he obviously thinks that this other thing doesn't work. And it's like, that's not, that's, not I just don't, exclusive, yeah. I just don't use it. It's, and people do that with nutrition. I heard Mike Israel the other day on an Instagram post or something. And he was right about this. It'd be like, people see him. He's like eating an orange and they're like, well, wh- wh- why aren't you eating an apple? He's like, <sighs> It's like, well, I'm just eating an orange. Like, it's not, it's not that I don't like apples. I'm just eating an orange. And it's kind of like that, that way with programming. It's like I'm programming and, and training a person this way. It doesn't necessarily mean I wholesale believe that this other way doesn't work. I just, that's just not what I do. Um, and and I, I don't, I wouldn't know how to use it as well as some other coach uses it. So I don't, I don't do it. Um, but I've, you know, I've always, I've always borrowed from a lot of different systems. So I don't have like one thing that I do necessarily. My system is a conglomeration of a lot of different stuff. Right. Um, you know, so I beg, steal and borrow. And, and then I assemble mm-hmm. it kind of into my own thing, which I think is what most coaches wind up doing. Um, but that's, and then I, I think where, where I'm pretty good at, I think my strength as a coach, it, it's being able to take, you know, an approach that I, that I know how to use and applying it to the right person. Right. You know, individualizing you know, it. Yep. Right. Yep. I know, I know how to use the conjugate system with people, let's say for instance, and I like the conjugate system, but I don't universally apply the conjugate system to every single client that I train because mm, sure. it's not, it's not appropriate for every single client that I train, but it's very appropriate for other people. Um, and so I try to match the programming structure, the programming style to the person that I'm working with, not only with their goals and their experience level and their abilities, but even just their individual preferences. You know, some people, like a lot of variety and they want to learn new things. They want to be constantly challenged. Um, and for them, like a conjugate approach is really, really good. And a conjugate system for the people that, I mean, it's, it's very deep, but it's, it's a lot of variety and different exercises and that sort of thing. And, and so that type of yeah, system. Go, go is, listen to your multi-part uh, podcast yeah, episode on yeah. it, which is great. I, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to break the whole thing down here because that's another yeah. hour, but it's, um, you know, that, that system will work well for a lot of people that want to do it that way. But for a guy that right. doesn't like to train that way, that wants, he wants to peel everything back except for just the bare minimum mm-hmm. basic stuff. He wants, you know, a minimum number of exercises. He likes the repetition of doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Then I might use more of a heavy, light, medium structure yeah. um, with that person. 
and and again, it, it may come down to something, you know, a guy may want to do a con, he may contact me and say, Hey, I'm really interested in this conjugate method, you know, but his, his equipment selection is a, a rack and a barbell. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it may not work that well for you, man. Like it's, yeah. I mean, you, you can, but you're trying to, you're kind of trying to force a round peg into a square hole with that. And so right, you can't rotate through enough variance with, with yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. You just have, you just, you kind of need more stuff um, yeah. to do that. And so sometimes it's better to just, you know, it's better to just go with what you have and do the best with what you have. And then in trying to, because if you're, if you don't enjoy, I'm a big believer, if you don't enjoy your training, you're not going to, you're, so if you're following a system of training that is, doesn't match up well with your preferences, you're, you're probably not going to be as consistent with it. And consistency is key. And one of the, one of the keys to consistency is to actually, I mean, all of us have days where we don't want to train and we don't want to go in there and do it, but you have to be following something that excites you at least to some degree. And so as my, as a coach, I try to match that up as best as I can. Yeah. And and that right there is huge. That's a big part of why I recommend you all the time to people because there is so much variety to choose from and you'll find something that works for you. And then even in the barbell club, it's just uh, the tracks that come out and the variety week to week are great. So, um, Last couple of things. Have you got time for a couple more questions? Yeah, I got plenty of time. All right. So, uh, are you you're you're always open to things because I notice, like in the bodybuilding track, you're big into the uh, the rest pause sets and density sets, and you, you recommend all these different things, which I think are fascinating. You know, the dog crap training uh, and stuff like that. Um, what uh, what have you been experimenting with or trying to? to work through now that maybe we haven't heard of, or is there like, or, or if not, is there something that you're personally working on that you're just trying to improve? Um, you know, for the, for the last several years, I've, I've kind of gone back to where I started, which was, uh, you know, I started like a lot of guys did is, um, you know, late teens, early twenties with the bodybuilding style Mm -hmm. approach with the body part split. But looking back, you know, with, I didn't have enough good information. And so I was doing a lot of things wrong that I still made progress because I was, you know, I was very, um, you know, I, I trained hard. I was very consistent. I, I always, um, I understood the importance of nutrition early on. So I got, I got good results with that type of training, you know, early on. Plus I was, you know, 19, 20, 21. So you're going to, if you're doing, if you're eating well and you're training hard, um, you're still going to get pretty good results at, mm. at that age. Um, and so, you know, I, um, but looking back, you know, there was a lot of things I would have done differently had I had the information that I have now. So several years ago, I kind of went back to that bodybuilding style approach that I, that I used when I was younger. And I thought, okay, with the information that I have now, um, could I do this better and make it work? Um, and so for a year for, I did that for a number of years before I started offering, you know, that track out to my clients of, you know, how do I make this kind of body part split type stuff work? Um, Cause now I understand a little bit better of why I'd be doing something that I'm doing instead of just doing what I felt like, which is kind of how I did it back then. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the bodybuilding style of training, applying the principles of progressive overload and that sort of thing to that style of training has, there would have been a time where I would have said that, you know, that maybe that style of training didn't work because you've heard that before, like body part splits only work for advanced athlete or, you Mm -hmm. know, enhanced athletes. So, and that's really not true. You know, that if you're on gear, you're anabolics, any type of training that you do is going to be better than if you're not, but the the physiology is still basically the same. Um, And so, you know, and that was a, a big thing for a long time. They said, well, body part splits don't work for 
you know, natural guys, natural guys need to do full body or upper lower or that type of stuff. And that's not necessarily true. Um, you just need to make sure that certain principles are in place like progressive overload. And I think that's one of, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to Dante Trudell's work and kind of the, the, his dog crap system. And again, I don't prescribe the dog crap system exactly directly, to people, yep. but, but I've, I've <clears throat> borrowed elements of it. One of which is just that, that applying those pr- principles of progressive overload and everything to more of a bodybuilding style of training, which I think is where a lot of guys, the young guys, especially that train in that vein where they go in there and they have an arm day, let's say, and there's, and they do a lot of volume, a lot of sets and reps on their arms and all that kind of stuff. And, and they still don't see any progress, any growth. And a lot of that is, is because like I was, when I was at ages, I really wasn't thinking about progressive overload. I was thinking about, well, how can I go in and just destroy my arms? You know, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, you're just trying for what's the most massive pump I can get. How sore can I get? How fatigued can I get? You know, it's not a good workout unless that body part that you're training is just destroyed, you know? And that was kind of what a lot of the bodybuilding magazines and stuff back in the day preached, which you have to just absolutely destroy a muscle mm-hmm. as, as opposed to now my thinking is more, you know, you have to take, you have to find certain exercises that work really well for that, you know, for that muscle group. And then you have to apply the principles of basic uh, progressive overload to those exercises. And we think a lot on a, about progressive overload on squats and deadlifts and and that sort of thing, but we don't necessarily think about it on our cable tricep press downs or our barbell curls, those types of movements, people just go in there and they just knock out three or four sets of 10 reps and then wonder why they're not growing. Well, it's like, if you're, if you're doing a cable tricep press down for 10 reps with a hundred pounds, you know, in a few months, you need to be doing 10 reps with 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. And if you're not thinking that way on even those small exercises, you're not going to see the type of muscular growth that you would if you were, you know, applying those principles of overload. And so it's the same thing. I mean, people recognize that on their squats. You know, if you want your legs to grow, you need to take your 225 squat and turn it into a 315 squat, Mm -hmm. you know. 225 for five needs to become 275 for five needs to become 315 for five needs to go needs to turn into 405 for five. I mean, that's really, that's where growth muscular growth occurs on those lifts, but it applies to every other lift. If you're trying to get your chest to grow and you're doing a dumbbell bench press, like if you're doing the sixties for a set of 10 today, well, in a few months, you need to be doing the eighties for a set of 10. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so th- those principles that we apply to the barbell lifts apply to every other lift that we're going to be doing, you know, if, when you're trying to do that bodybuilding style approach. So I went back yeah. and kind of retraced my steps of kind of training the way that I used to train, but applying some of this stuff, some of these more scientific principles to that training and seeing if I can make it work. Um, and even getting away from the barbell stuff entirely, just to see if I could elicit an adaptive response without them. Yep. You know, and, yeah. and you can, it's not great for strength. Uh, you know, your low bar one RM is not going to go up if you don't train your low bar one RM, but you can still, you know, I wanted to see, can I actually grow doing a lot more machine based and dumbbell mm-hmm. based training and that sort of thing? Cause I knew I could with the barbells. I wanted to see if I could make it work, you know, kind of with the bodybuilding type system, uh, more physique level approach. And it, and it does, it does work. Yeah. And, and you have some really nice features in that program. From what I can recall, it's been been about a year since I read it, but it had the top set back off set approach, right? In the bodybuilding mm-hmm. track. And you, you'd, you'd go through a certain progression for six, eight, 12 weeks. What is it now in the program before you start to switch it up? Uh, it's something like six weeks, right? Yeah. I'll do like yeah. basically like six weeks and then I'll yeah. deload people. And, and again, you know, is that optimal for everybody? You know, the idea is though, is that if you know, if you know that we're going to 
we're going to kind of load for six weeks and then, and then deload and then kind of reshuffle some of the movements. Um, then you're trying to kind of maximize. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're hey, trying you're to pushing. push. Yeah. It's a psychological yeah. thing for sure. Yeah. You're going to try to push yeah. that, you know, your bench press in the four to eight, four to eight rep range. You know, you're going to push yeah. that hard for six weeks and then, you know, we may not, the bench press may just go from the first exercise to the second exercise and then not, and be in the eight to 12 range instead of the four to eight range, but you're still, you're still trying to apply those principles of progressive overload now, just within a different rep range oh, yeah. and in a, a different order. Okay. Um, and so all that type of stuff, you know, I've, I've kind of figured out a way to, to long-term kind of make it work. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun and you're still hitting plenty of compound lifts in there uh, in, in a variety of rep ranges. Like you said, it's not always the big three, which can be refreshing actually when you're kind of getting tired of doing the same list over and over. Um, and then it's also, I also ran it during a cut and you had suggested that as one of the, the higher, um, priority programs potentially because of the auto regulation and the recovery. You said something in one of your articles you wrote, stay out of the bulking cutting purgatory, pick a goal and get there. Bulking usually erases your abs and cutting usually erases your PRs. Just deal with it, right? <laughs> and I'm yeah, always yeah. having uh, I'm always having arguments with people about bulking and cutting. And myself too, and me and Tony, he's like, stop cutting, man. You gotta you gotta gain. And I'm like, well, I don't want to gain 40 pounds and keep going up. I need at some point get a little bit <laughs> leaner. Well, so yeah. And that's <laughs> and that and that's true. I mean, the the bulking and cutting thing, uh uh not that it doesn't work, but I think what, what happens is guys just hang out in the middle for too long. Yeah. So they, they're, they want to, you know, drop the body fat, but they don't do it long enough, you know, to really get mm-hmm. lean, you know, and because they're, because what happens is you get a few weeks into that diet, um, you know, and, and your strength starts to go down a little bit. And so you have to have a system of training. Like, that's why I don't recommend when guys are going on a cut, I don't recommend them following some sort of barbell based strength program that has them working up towards a peak, like working up towards a one rep max, because you're asking the stress to go up, 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 up while your recovery and your re- your nutritional resources are going down, 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 down. Mm-hmm. Like that's a bad combo. So you have to figure out a way to train that allows you to still train hard because you need to train hard in order to um, maintain the muscle mass, but your absolute strength, like your, your PR one RMs on your lifts are going to go down. And yep. I, I honestly wouldn't have guys even mess with that. You don't need to be taking out squat one RMs while you're on a cut um, because one, they're going to go down Two, it can be dangerous. If you're, if you're really dieting hard and you're depleted, you don't need to be going down and, and, yep. and doing those types of, of lifts. So, you need to be training hard, but in a, in a within a specified rep range. Um, I do like to push the lifts close to failure, um, but not it's relative. It's rel it's relative. You know, it's within the, the five to eight rep range or the eight to twelve rep range, not in the one to three rep range. Um, and the when you get there, that you find that the load on the bar. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. You want to try to maintain your strength as much as possible, but within those kind of medium rep ranges, mm-hmm. not, not, not your one RM maximal strength, because that is going to go down if you're on a prolonged cut. And so you just got to kind of get that out of your head and really stay focused on the goal, which is if I'm trying to get lean, let's just get lean. And then once you level off and you start going back into gaining again, a lot of that strength is going to come back. Right. Um, I do think that there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot of utility And if you're kind of in that, your, your body type is such, you've got some muscle you're kind of strong, but you're kind of fat and you want, we'd like to be less fat, but you, you're still not, your strength is still not where you want it. And so people are like, well, should I, should I just keep gaining weight or should I, or should I lean out? Cause, and honestly, if you're in that zone, usually I tell people to to do the lean out first, Mm -hmm. like get, get lean. And then, cause that actually 
if you get nice and lean, you're actually going to be more anabolic to start a, a bulk later. Like that bulk is going to be more effective going forward. Your body's actually going to, you're going to, your insulin sensitivity is going to be better when you're leaner. So you'll be able to eat more without putting on as much body fat when your insulin sensitivity has been fixed. Yeah. If you're you have fat, a lot more runway. Yeah. Yeah. If you're fat now and you start bulking, <clears throat> probably your insulin sensitivity is not good. And so if you start trying to go into a big caloric surplus while you're kind of fat now, you're just yeah. going to get fatter. I mean, yeah. you still will probably get stronger, but you're going to, then you're going to get to a point where, you know, yay, my squat went up 50 pounds, but man, I'm fat and I don't want to be here, sure. you know? And it's like, so you're going to be, you're going to be in a better place to add that muscle if you start off a little bit leaner. So it can be better to cut first because again, your insulin sensitivity yeah. is better. A lot of times your testosterone is going to be better. I mean, I think we know now that, you know, being obese is one of the leading causes of having your, you know, sure. is having, is having low, issue, yeah. of having low testosterone. Um, and so I think all of those markers are going to be better and are going to enable you to have a better bulk if you get lean first. Right. Um, you know, if you're, if you're already lean now, you don't need to get, you know, you don't need to get down into single digit body fat necessarily. Right. Cause but, you could easily do that later. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You know, I, I've also seen the scenario where someone, especially new lifters who've never lifted before, you know, could could get some of that body recomp, right? They can stay at maintenance potentially if they if they're not excessively heavy and really need to lose that weight right now for health reasons. Maybe sit around a maintenance and, and enjoy some of that body recomp that the rest of us can't get it get anymore to that extent, and then figure out where do you want to go because you might see, hey, the waist size has gone down, the muscle mass has gone up, and I haven't lost any weight on the scale, but now I'm good to bulk. You know, it, it could mm -hmm. go that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think cardio plays a, a role in, in that as mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, if you're if it, it, and it's kind of it kind of again, it kind of depends on where you're at. You know, if you're if you're if you're very overweight, um, you know, if you're carrying a lot of body fat, you're not happy with the way that you look and you feel, you're probably more gonna be, especially if you're older, you're probably gonna be more on the um you need to get the weight off first. Yeah. Um, but if you're just kind of in that like skinny fat type of thing, um, you know, or you're just moderately overweight, you you can oftentimes get a little bit of a, of a recomp just by cleaning things up, you know, making not necessarily mm -hmm. eating a lot more or a lot less, but just eating better, making better right. food choices um, and just, and being more consistent with it, not having, um, and this is something we all struggle with, you know, not just being good on your diet, you know, Monday through Thursday, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, Friday, Friday night, I mean, a lot of people do really good on the weekend. I mean, during, during the week and then on the weekend, you know, they drink too much, they eat bad. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of this. Yep. And then, you know, they kind of never really gain any traction because those couple days over the weekend keep screwing them up. And I think cardio sometimes can help to kind of smooth out the edges yeah. of, yeah. of a, of a imperfect diet. It won't, I don't like people to get in the mindset of, I'm just going to eat whatever I want and then do cardio right. to, to try to undo it. But you know, it kind of, it, most people's diets are not perfect all the time. And so adding a little bit of, you know, just kind of moderate intensity, that zone two cardio, or what do you want to talk about? Um, you know, two, three, four days a week for 20 to 40 minutes at a time that, that can help. It can help you to eat more. Um, and you'll be more, um, you'll be more satisfied with your eating. You're less likely to binge because your, your caloric intake is a yeah. little bit higher. Um, and that can, yeah, that can yeah. kind of help as well. Yeah, that's the thing. I actually just talked to Brandon DeCruz uh, about the high energy flux lifestyle, right? And he was talking about that as well. The idea that we want to eat more and move more. We don't want to eat more. We don't want to eat less, move more. We don't want to eat less, move less. You know, you want to have both uh, kind of up there because now you're fully, uh, you're fully feel, filling the tank. You're feeling your lifts. You're feeling better. And a lot of this is how you feel too, right? And it's, it's just 
uh, when you talked about eating better, um, I imagine that's going to help with digestion, how you feel, how you recover, how you sleep, everything else. It does. And that's, and then the other thing with that, I just had a conversation with a client, um, I guess a day or two ago. And this is something, if you work like, like I do, and you probably do, you work with guys that are in like their thirties and forties and fifties, that can be a high stress time of life. And I mean, that's where your career is really, um, busy. You have young kids a lot of times. Um, there's a lot of pressure on you business-wise, financial-wise, marriage-wise, kids-wise. And so a lot of times when you're in that situation, and you're, but you're wanting to you know, lose some weight too, and guys are wondering, well, should I diet or should I do cardio? Here, one of the things you got to remember when you're, under, when you're in a situation where you're, where you're stressed, you're in, a, you're in a high, and it's not really going anywhere, right? Your career is not going to get any it easier. <laughs> your, your, your kids are still there for 10 more years. You know, you've still got job pressures and all that kind of stuff that a, a very, a, a diet, a very restrictive, low caloric diet, very low carb, um, very repetitive diet, that you're less likely to stay with that when you're in a high stress environment. You're That's going to lead to a lot more binge eating and going off track. And so I would rather a guy in that situation eat more because that's going to satiate him better. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to lead him um, to less binging and overeating. So feed him more, but have him do some cardio on top of that in order to get in order to get towards that deficit. And one, you'll discourage kind of those cyclical patterns of binging and being restrictive, binging and being restrictive. Mm -hmm. And the cardio in and of itself is a good stress reliever. Um, You know, there's there's a lot of evidence that, you know, that that type of that type of work is good at reducing stress levels. And so that's the approach um, because that's a debate people always have. Should I? diet harder and not do the cardio because it's potentially catabolic or should I do cardio and eat more? And so that's just something to think about for a lot of the people that are probably listening to this that are probably in our in kind of our age um, and in our situations in life is that something to think about is yeah, for sure. f- feed yourself a little bit more, but then do, do the cardio to kind of get yourself closer yeah. to the deficit. Yeah. And even walking, I mean, walk as much as you can is, is a great form of cardio that's also low stress and people don't do enough of it. We're all sitting around desks and you might go to the gym and think that you're working hard and, and that's the only time you move, then that, that could be part of the, ch- the issue right there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Andy, I want to ask one more question sure. and I ask this of everyone. It's uh, what, what one question did you wish I had asked and what is your answer? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. Where can I find out more about your stuff? I don't know. Oh, oh that was going to be my last question. No, no, no. That's that's the last question anyway. I know. I went I went straight to it. Yeah. No, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I've I've done so many of these podcasts. Sure. I've got a I've got a lot of I've been out there a lot. I've got a ton of articles, my own podcast, that sort of thing. So, I mean, any anything that people want to know about my opinion on stuff, it's it's out there somewhere, you know. And so that's yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't really have a good answer for that. I, I'm sorry. I should have prepared better. Before no, I came I, okay. Then I'll throw one out for you. Is there is there any is there like any entertaining story or something for your career that I don't know you've never shared on a podcast or can maybe haven't told you know the public? Oh yeah, no, most of those I don't want to. <laughs> you know, from my, to my millions of listeners, Andy. You know, <laughs> yeah, from you know from my. Uh, Probably just, you know, I think a lot of people that um, they don't know a lot about like, you know, some of the uh, I've got a pretty diverse background and where I've trained and how I've trained and who I've trained with and everything. And I think that's that's helped me become a better coach of just um, I spent, you know, I was of that age where um, I grew up in gyms before the Internet. And, you know, that was really 
helpful, I think, to where that was back in the days where when you went into a gym, people shared more, you know, people didn't have headphones on. Um, and it was more common, I think, for young, young guys like me, teenagers and stuff to go up to the, the big guys in the gym, the big, strong guys and, you know, ask for advice or they would freely come over and give the advice, but in, you know, in a, in a very helpful way. Um, you know, and there's just so many of those, those stories of guys that I've met over the years. I mean, some of which, you know, guys like Kurt Karwaski and stuff that people would know. And, and then other guys that were just in gyms that I've trained at over the years that, you know, you know, people don't have any idea who they are and I don't, I haven't kept up with them. I don't know where they are, but just all the, all the guys that have come up and said, you know, just one thing to you, just one exchange that you've had in a gym um, with somebody that stuck with you, um, you know, that helped you, um, you know, even if it's just a little tip of how to do an exercise versus, you know, a more fundamental way of thinking about, you know, how you train. And a lot of that for me was just observational, just, you know, watching, being in gyms around people, not, not watching people, um, you know, not watching people's Instagram stories, but watching, you know, being in a gym and watching how guys trained for years at a time, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the guys that you would want to emulate the big, strong lifters that, you know, watching, what did they, not what did they write about on social media? Cause it didn't exist, but what did they actually do day to day? Um, you know, week to week that made them have success. And you, and you start to see certain patterns with that, you know, over time. And so I think that's something that people miss, miss now is that most people get their information from social media and there's so much conflicting information. And one guy saying, you know, oh, you should do this. And the other guy saying, no, you should do that. And I think people look for the differences in mm-hmm. people's approaches rather rather than the commonalities. So that's yeah, one thing I've yeah. I've always tried to look at is, you know, I know with whoever I'm going to, you know, whatever source of information I'm going to go to to try to gain some knowledge from, I I know that I'm there's going to be a certain amount of things that I, they say that I disagree with or maybe don't understand or whatever. But I I try not to focus on the things I disagree with. I try to focus on the things that where people agree and try to find the commonalities of what works between these different camps that you might see or between different lifters that have success in bodybuilding or powerlifting or whatever, what are the commonalities that people do versus what are the things that they do different? Because, and I think what you learn is that there is no one magical approach Mm -hmm. that works for everybody. I mean, even if you look at elite level powerlifting, I mean, in a way, everybody's kind of doing the same thing, but they've all, if you go get the top 20 lifters in the world, they're on 20 different programs, right? They're not all just following one thing. And so I think the only thing that you can deduce from that is there's a lot of potential things at work yeah. and try to really drill down on what are the commonalities um, and then finding out, um, you know, on those different things, what are the things that would work for you and, and apply to you, um, you know, or apply to your clients. And so, you know, that's kind of, that's just kind of always been my approach of just being an observationalist and, and trying to see the commonalities instead of the differences between people in different camps. Yeah. And I could, I could respect that, that it's like this discerning open-mindedness you have. It's not that, you know, it's not that everything goes, but there are principles, there are universal principles and you recognize that and you're not dogmatic or rigid. Um, and this is a great takeaway for folks is to just keep that in mind as they go through their journey. Cause this is at the end of the day, we want this to just be f- a fun part of our life that gets us to be healthy, fit, strong, and, uh, we want to enjoy it along the way, right. For the decades that we do this. So absolutely. So, all right. What now? The question: Where can listeners find more about you and your work? <laughs> um, just go to andybaker.com. That's the kind of the hub. That's uh, all my articles are there. You know, products and services are there, and then uh, the uh, Baker Barbell Podcast. Also, if you want to uh, search that up. 
Absolutely. I'll put those in the show notes as well. Baker Barbell Podcast and of course, andybaker.com. Um, you're always putting out a ton of uh, really cool articles. If you're on your email list, you get interesting musings every week uh, about some some cool stuff that I really don't hear anywhere else. So check those out. And man, Andy, this was a pleasure. I, it was even better than I expected. I really uh, want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. I'll be back anytime you want me. Would love that. Cool. Thanks, man. Cool. If you've been inspired by today's interview and are ready to take action and build momentum on your health and fitness journey, just schedule a free 30-minute nutrition momentum call with me using the link in my show notes. I promise not to sell or pitch you on anything, but I will help you gain some perspective and guidance so we can get you on the right track toward looking and feeling your best. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best, and these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.